according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Philippians 4, and uh, we're looking at some marvelous things here in verses 11 and 12, and getting ready for verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is, of course, in a context related to God's financial provision and what it is we learn how to be content in every circumstance as we operate on the, uh, the spectrum, as, it, as we say. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask our Father in His faithfulness to, uh, to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning, thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for your truth, rejoicing, Father, that morning by morning your mercies are renewed. Great is thy faithfulness. And Father, we will be blessed once again on this day by your faithfulness as the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our understanding as you lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So Father, lead us and we will follow. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as we're looking at this financial uh, passage, really it's a great big praise item that Paul has here. Uh, starting in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Truth is they never stopped. It's just it seemed like it from Paul's perspective because the money stopped and uh, they, they had supported him early and then that stopped and then he was left to wonder uh, but then when the Epaphroditus arrives and he brings the uh, funds from Philippi, he realizes that, uh, that they never did. They never did stop. Is what it says here in verse 10, uh, now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned the whole time. You never stopped being concerned, but you lacked opportunity. And that's what led to them uh, not sending the funds for that length of time. He goes on to say, not that I speak from want. We, we go through periods of time whereby we, we are in a deficiency. We do have want, but that doesn't drive how we think and that doesn't drive what we, what we say. His speaking is not coming from that place. It's not coming from the uh, deficiency. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now this becomes the controlling context. This issue in verse 11 controls verse 12 and verse 13. We want to be clear on that. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So wherever God has you, wherever God has you uh, financially, wherever God has you in, uh, in, in uh, your health circumstances, wherever God has you in relationships, wherever has, God has you in, uh, in your career, your professional life, whatever your circumstances of daily personal life are, where you are is where we are to be content. And that's the principle. And that also applies, by the way, with the I can do all things. It's uh, I can function in whatever capacity God places me in through uh, His ongoing strength. And we'll be exegeting that here shortly. All right. So not that I speak from what, for I've learned to be content. And we have a progression of verbs here from learning to knowing to, uh, as it says in verse 12, learning the secret. And that's what we have to unpack. That's the most difficult of all three of these. Learning we can recognize because that's Montano. Let me get my slideshow synchronized here. Uh, it's main point two. Paul framing the personal financial spectrum as a context for contentment. And then uh, sub point D. There we go. Paul employs a remarkable progression from learning to knowing, to learning the secret. And that translation on that third one of learning the secret is the most problematic. And it's the one that I think we need to re-engineer re into English. We need to recognize how would Paul's readers have received that had they been reading it or had it been read to them in the congregation of Philippi in the first century. Um, and so that centers on uh, the mystery component that we have here in this passage. So first of all, I have learned to be content. Contentment is, is uh, developed through doctrinal understanding. It's developed as a disciple learns from the Word of God. It doesn't come naturally. It's not something that's just mystically bestowed upon you when you get saved. 
the fact is that as believers we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Because if we're not renewed in our thinking, then we're going to be conformed to this age. And uh, anybody conformed to this age is not content, I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) This age does not produce uh, contentment. Uh, But the Word of God does. And so that's why we don't want to be conformed to this age, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that happens as we learn, that happens as we function as a disciple. A disciple is a learner. So we have the verb manthano and we have the verb mathetes and we understand what discipleship really is. That means we're learning in the Word of God. And then the second step is knowing. And this is the know-how-to function. Knowing how, knowing how to function, knowing how to operate. And uh, it's the comprehensive oida application of knowing how to uh, function in daily life. So how do you function? How do you function in daily life? And, and does it change based upon uh, how much money you have? Does your function change or how little money you have? Do you become a different person when, uh, when, when you have more money? Or do you have a, become a different person when you have less money? And if so, that's a problem. We should be consistent in our contentment before the Lord as we operate in this way. And so really, um, I think, if we handle verse 12 well enough, it's going to assist us in verse 13. But when he says, I know how to get along, all right, you get this idea of get along, right? And uh, it's almost Texan in the way that uh, Paul wrote that here. It makes you wonder. But um, the idea of get along, really, it's not a part of the Greek verb. It's just, it's it's rendered that way, I think, just as a translation function. And, And then the other expression, I know how to live in prosperity, so are you living or are you getting along? You know, what are you doing? Are you living or are you getting along? And um, really, the first verb is a verb of, of humility. I know how to be humbled, and it's a passive voice verb. I know how to be humbled. And then the second verb is a verb of abundance. I know how to abound. I know how to abound. And that's what it comes down to. The oida, same oida in both cases. I know how to be humbled and I know how to abound. And so that financial spectrum is is described in that way. Whether you're on the high end of things or the low end of things or anywhere in between on the financial spectrum, you're either abounding or you're being humbled or a combination of the two at some middle point. And Paul says, I know both. I know both. How to uh, be humbled, I also know how to abound in any and every circumstance, all right? In any and every circumstance. And so just start listing them, you know, and realize this is, uh, this is where you are. And, uh, and maybe, you know, just journal a little bit and keep track of a few things and just realize that every phase of life, in every circumstance, you know, think about your days as a single man, your days as a married man, your days as a parent, your days haven't reached grandparent status yet, but you know, just think of different, uh, different phases and different places, different circumstances. All right, has God been faithful each step of the way? Of course. Has His grace been sufficient? Absolutely. And uh, in in seasons where there was more cash, or seasons when there was less cash, He's still the same faithful God. In seasons where there's more health, more more sickness. All right, just kind of you know. Do your own personal wedding ceremony at this point in sickness and in health for richer, for poorer, and for better or for worse. It's called the circumstances of personal life, all right? And in the circumstances of personal life, God is faithful and His, His grace is sufficient and His Word has every answer we need. The Word of God provides all things necessary for life and godliness, and these, uh, these are fundamental issues, and, and I think we want to make sure we're solid on them and we stand on them. Uh, otherwise, we find ourselves in a, in a tragic uh, circumstance of doubting the Word of God and having to supplement the Bible with human wisdom. And that's just a terrible, terrible path to get on uh, no matter what. So the first step is learning. The second step is knowing. Then the third step, I have learned the secret I have learned the secret. And this is the one, I don't like the translation, learned the secret. It's a technical term. It's a, it's a passive voice of mueo. The verb is mueo, M-U-E-O, mueo. And the mu part of mueo is related to the mu part of musterion. 
and we're very solid on mystery doctrine because uh, Paul is the apostle of mystery doctrine and Paul lays out mystery doctrine in Ephesians and Colossians and elsewhere. And we recognize when the New Testament uses mystery, the New Testament uses mystery in a way different than how uh, the secular culture would use it in their day and age. All right. In particular, whereas the 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 church is the mystery that God has withheld in in prior dispensations, but now has unfolded to the body of Christ. That's how the New Testament uses mystery and mystery doctrine. Uh, The in the pagan world, in the secular world of the day and age, mystery religions were something else altogether. And if you were not here Wednesday night, I encourage you to go get that MP3 and listen to it because I did a, a bit of reading on the mystery religions and some of the initiations that take place to get inducted into those mystery religions. And it's really, it's a, it's a curious thing to study and I think you have to know it to recognize where biblical Christianity sits in the, in the context of, of first century, where, where it was birthed and where it, where it existed. Um, but really the, uh, the term mueo in the passive voice, like we have here, is a technical term of the mystery religions, uh, and we could render it initiate into the mysteries. Initiate into the mysteries. And so that's what he's saying. I have been initiated into the mysteries of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. He says, I have been initiated into the mysteries. So I have learned, I know, and I have been initiated into the mysteries of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. And that's what we want to grab onto here. And so I'm not going to repeat everything we did Wednesday night, but I would just encourage you to to listen to that, to understand it for what it is, to recognize as he's using this as an illustration, all right? And we could do something similar because we have similar things uh, in even in modern times in our world and so forth. Uh, you, maybe you had a uh, a college fraternity that you were a part of, and perhaps associated with that was uh, was an initiation uh, uh, ceremony. All right, and and perhaps uh, you you want to tell the story someday, and maybe you don't want to tell the story someday of, as far as what that initiation was like. Okay, there are other things. There's fraternal organizations that have initiations. There's um, there's uh, even in in the Boy Scout troop, uh, the Boy Scouts have an honor society within the Boy Scouts, uh, an honor camper society called the Order of the Arrow. And uh, for the best campers, the most skilled campers, the most experienced uh, scouts, and, uh, and and to become an Order of the Arrow member, there is a uh, there is an ordeal. There is a, a night that you spend alone and, and other things that you have to do on your ordeal. And then you get initiated into the, uh, into the order of the arrow, part of the, the things there. I won't say any more because I'm sworn to lifetime secrecy on, uh, on the ordeal. <laughs> they give you an orange, an egg, and a match. And they send you out to the woods. All right. Ask me later. So we have different things in our culture where you can get initiated into something, all right? Well, the mystery religions were very similar in the sense that they were voluntary. You had to pursue it. You had to want to be in it. And then if you were accepted, then you had to go through the initiation. And some of it was pretty gruesome, as we read a little bit Wednesday night. And, uh, and, to, be in it, and to be brought into the mysteries then uh, used this verb, mueo. That's the way they would have taken it when they read that in Philippi. It's the only way they would have taken it when they read that in, in Philippi. And so Paul is using this as an illustration to say, I have learned, I know, and I've been initiated. I've been initiated. And really, we all want to get initiated this way. We all want to be brought into a mindset whereby hunger and fullness uh, prosperity and adversity is all one in Christ. And once we, once we get ushered into that mindset, all of us uh, as, as church age believers with this divine viewpoint perspective, we are, as it were, uh, initiated into this mystery. All right. Because the fact is, having been initiated into the mysteries, as it were, Paul knows the secret of sated hunger and abounding lack. All of these are, are simultaneous realities. You can be hungry and full at the same time. You can be wealthy and poor at the same time. And we all are, personally and corporately in Christ. 
And we'll illustrate that here in a moment. Just looking at verse 12, though, when he says, I've learned the secret of, what's that? I've been initiated into the, into the mystery of what? And then four things are mentioned, and they're put in a, in a sequence, but they're, they're put in a, in a grammatical structure whereby we, we recognize that they're simultaneous. They're not different things. They seem like opposites, but they're both true. So the uh, idea of being filled and going hungry, right? Now, in the spiritual realm, this is possible. In the human realm, it's, it's mutually exclusive. It's not possible, all right? I'm either hungry or I'm full. And uh, that's just kind of the way it goes, right? I mean, you know, before you, when you're walking into pluckers, you're hungry. And when you're walking out of pluckers, you're full. That's just the way it works, okay? And, but the idea that both are true at the same time, how does that happen, okay? In human terms, in physical bodies and physical food, it's not, it's impossible. But in spiritual terms, it's very possible. Not only personally, but also corporately as we are all members one of another. Likewise, uh, being rich and poor at the same time, okay? Uh, you know, you take that wedding vow uh, for, for richer or for poor, um, it's understood that those are at different times of your marriage, at different times of your life. You'll, you'll have richer times and you'll have poorer times. The idea that they can both simultaneously be true in the spiritual realm, in Christ, they can both spiritually be true. And so this becomes a, a curious thing as well, related to our hunger or related to our um, finances. I like the fact that it includes multiple contexts here so that it, it, we, we recognize that Paul's not only talking about money, he's not only talking about food, uh, it could apply to any circumstance of daily life, anything. Your health, your relationships, your your job success, um, your your uh, politics. I mean, anything in in daily life, a personal life, living. All right, and so uh, these things are simultaneous. Now, these contrasts are not mutually exclusive, but corporately inclusive in the body of Christ. And uh, just take a moment to, to digest that. I'm actually quite proud of how that came out when I wrote that. So, mutually exclusive. Corporately inclusive, right? Identify what we're talking about there. Mutually exclusive is when you have things that are opposites or different and they can't both be true at the same time, okay? Jews and Gentiles are mutually exclusive because by definition, what is a Gentile? A non-Jew, right? And so what is a Jew? A Jew or a non-Gentile, right? So it's like, I mean, this is, this is classic. This is the laws of non-contradiction. A is not not A. And, and this, is, this is fundamental to human thought, all right? It's kind of criticized these days by some postmodernists who uh, they hate Western civilization anyway. And so they just say, well, um, those laws of the lo- logic, those laws of non-contradiction, those laws of the excluded middle, those laws, they, they say, that's just Western thinking. And you can't count on that, right? Uh, because there's other forms of thinking. There's other forms of logic. There's Eastern logic. There's Indian logic. There's other, you know, don't be so chauvinistic to, to just embrace Western thought kind of a thing. Well, it's curious because they employ Western logic when they tell you that Western logic is not applicable. And, uh, and it's uh, curious. Makes me laugh. All right. Since we live in the real world, we're going to continue on the basis of thought, okay? And what is, is, and what is not, is not. And so we have uh, existence, and, and if it exists, it is. And, and truth is that which conforms to reality, all right? And so Jews and Gentiles are mutually exclusive. Boys and girls, there's another one, mutually exclusive, okay? Because boys are boys and girls are girls. Girls are not boys. Boys are not girls, all right. And so um, you would think this is a pretty easy concept, but we, again, we live in a, a pretty insane thing. So when it comes to hunger and fullness, okay, just purely in physical human body terms, they are mutually exclusive. You're not going to, if you're, the definition of being full is you're not hungry anymore, right? And the definition of hungry is you haven't eaten for a while, now you're hungry and, and you want to get full. So um, in, in, in human terms, they are mutually exclusive. 
But what the Word of God does and what the truth of the body of Christ does is it takes these things and it combines them together into the body of Christ, the mystical union of, of the body of Christ, that is Christ and the church. And so that we have multiple members that are all one in Christ. And so it becomes corporately, a corporate corpus body, right? Corporately, we're not talking business or a, you know, a CEO when you think corporate, don't think business, think body, the body of Christ, corporate, like corporate prayer. It's the body of Christ praying together. It has nothing to do with a business prayer. Okay. Corporate, corporately inclusive in Christ. And this comes out. It comes out in a lot of passages, such as Romans twelve fifteen. All right. Corporate blessings that we have in Christ. It says, um, well, really, you could back it up to verse 9 because we have a whole paragraph that centers on church unity, that centers on the body and how we function one to another. So let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You know, this is a corporate passage. You can't do this by yourself. The one another imperatives require multiple people. In, uh, in a body. So be devoted to one another in Philadelphia, brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Remember, when you're blessing your brother and sister, it's not because they deserve it. The Lord deserves it. And you're serving the Lord as you're blessing your brothers and sisters in Christ. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, all of this is in the corporate function of the local church. The body of believers together, brothers and sisters in Christ, loving one another, serving one another. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Don't take that verse out of the context. because That's also the body of Christ. This is what happens when things get rough in a church and when uh, members are uh, not like-minded. All right, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Is that uh, mutually exclusive? It could be all at the same time. And we've got brothers and sisters right here today that have rejoicing items when they brought rejoicing items to prayer meeting. And we've got brothers here today that have uh, weeping items and they brought weeping items to prayer meeting. Or they didn't bring weeping items to prayer meeting because they decided to keep them to themselves. But the point is, is that we rejoice and we weep and it's all the same. It's at the same time with the same believers in the same body of Christ. There are uh, the rejoicing uh, opportunities and the weeping opportunities simultaneously. All right. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 through 23. This is my favorite of all of these. 1 Corinthians 3. And this is the follow-up to the judgment seat of Christ information that we have in uh, 10 through 15. The fact that we are accountable, that we will give an answer, and we will see our uh, production evaluated by fire. Then it follow the follow-up to that, do you not know, verse 16, that you are a temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. The body of Christ is a temple. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. So are we here to tear one another down or are we here to build one another up? Obviously. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. When we were teaching this in the first Corinthians class, we stopped and we taught a doctrine how to be foolish. Okay? So if you weren't here back in those days, uh, I recommend you sit on the website, go get the classes and learn how to be foolish because we want to be foolish the way the world views foolishness. That means we're going to be wise the way God views wisdom. And uh, that becomes important. All right. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. And so ultimately, I mean, this is just, it's, it's sweet, it's beautiful, it's, it's uh, the, the, the blessings we have to come together and, and the fact that we, uh, we love one another and serve one another and the Christian walk is, is simply a bunch of believers keeping their eyes on the Lord 
And we're walking together and we're embracing God's wisdom, rejecting the world's wisdom. And we're doing this together. And uh, if the world wants to call us fools, oh well, we'll be fools together as we, uh, as we keep our eyes on the Lord. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. The advantage we have of being separated from this world and, and identifying together in the body of Christ as living the Word of God together and learning the Word of God together is that all of the mindset that they have out there, we're rescued from all of that. We're freed from all of that. And we're not here uh, boasting the way the world boasts. We're not here whereby we can you know, lord it over one another and, and brag about our greatness and, and different things. There's none of that. We're just here humbly walking with the Lord and, and loving one another, and this is how it works. So let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Everything. What does that mean? All things belong to you. Okay, now, this is, this is key, because we, we don't want to lose this uh, the same way we don't want to lose, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So that doesn't mean I'm faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Is that what that means? Any more than all things belong to you means that I can just steal whatever I want because it's mine anyway. Okay? This talks about being corporately inclusive. All things belong to you. And it goes on to explain whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Remember this church was so schismatic they were following these different leaders. And he says, forget the schisms. Put them all together. They all belong to you. Paul belongs to you. Apollos belongs to you. Cephas belongs to you. Or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. You know, very similar to Romans 8, is it not? Those things that cannot separate you from the love of God which are in Christ Jesus, you own those things. Those are yours. Because everything is yours. Christ is the heir of all things and you're in Christ. So we can, uh, we can function that way today. Life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That brings it together. That explains it. All things belong to you, you belong to Christ, Christ belongs to God. And so we're a corporate body in Christ. He's the head, we're the body. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. We are one body in Christ coming to the Father to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. All right? So all things belong to you. Now, if all things belong to you, what does that mean? That means you're hungry believers, you're, you're full believers, you're rich believers, you're poor believers. The testing of life circumstances that everyone's facing, you're facing all of that. Every last bit of it. Who is weak without my becoming weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul says. All right, so the testing that my brother is going through, that's my testing as well. Not just his test. Is he left to face that by himself? Of course not. He's a part of the body. I'm a part of the body. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member is honored, we're all honored. And so they're not mutually exclusive, they're corporately inclusive. They're all simultaneously happening. Been so for the last 2,000 years, they continue to do so. All right. And so this becomes a, really becomes a marvelous uh, call for unity. It becomes a marvelous call for humility. It is uh, a privilege to, uh, to, to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. It's a privilege to be able to do this. To identify in the weaknesses as our Savior identified with our weaknesses. And so uh, we get to replicate that now in, uh, in our generation. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And there you go. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. It comes down to uh, suffering versus being honored. And really, um, there's a much larger context. All of chapter 12 is talking about spiritual gifts, talking about parts of the body. Back to verse 14, the body is not one member but many. And and there's no part that uh, you could just feel free to just chop it off and who needs it. We, we, need, we need everybody. We need the whole body of Christ. If uh, the body is not one member but many, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, what is that? 
What is the, why is there tension between the foot and the hand? Why is there, why is there uh, an attitude there on the part of the foot? I mean, does it want to be a hand? What's it doing? Okay? Yeah, don't, don't be discontent with what you're not. Be content with what you are and thank God that He's designed you that way to put you where you need to be. It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the ear, I mean the ear, does it want to be an eye? Because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. You know, it just doesn't happen. So the whole body, and we can't all be eyes, we can't all be feet, we can't all be, I mean, this is how it works. We all work together. Imagine a local church, you get 100 members, and all 11, all 100 of them had the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher. What a stupid church would that be, you know? Goodness. You've got to have all the gifts, you've got to have all the ministries, you've got to have all the effects. And Jesus Christ, thankfully, knows what He's doing, and He moves these people around and He puts them where they need to be. All right. And uh, that's how this comes across. And the members that seem to be weaker, those are the most important of all. Uh, in verse uh, 22, on the contrary, it is much truer, the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. I mean, face it, there's parts of the body that are on public display to be looked at, and then there's other parts of the body you keep not on public display. They are not looked at. All right. At least that's, like I say, our culture is insane. Um, But here we go. There are parts of the body that should not be on display. And and yet the more presentable members, we, we need one another. There you go. And so... We have this. So there may be no division in the body. The members may have the same care for one another. <laughs> you know, cancer shows up and well, it's not in me, so I'm okay. Well, yeah, you, the whole body's still dead, all right, when the, the person dies of cancer. The foot's still going to go in the grave, even though, well, cancer wasn't in me. Okay, well, you're part of a body. And that's how that works. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. That whole attitude of, boy, I'm glad that's not me. That's the world thinking. That's not Christ's wisdom. That's not the body of Christ. You know, don't just smile and say, wow, too bad for him. No, too bad for you. You're part of that. We're all in this body together. And if you don't embrace that, if you don't identify with how that works, then uh, I suspect you need to back up a couple steps. You're going to go to the learning process and then the knowing process and then the initiated into the mystery of how the body of Christ functions in this way. All right, so that's 1 Corinthians 12, 26. What about 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9? These are the giving chapters that we've been looking at. As you might expect, it's quite parallel to Philippians 4 and a lot of the grace-giving issues overlap between 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and Philippians 4. But you might remember as we described this, the fact that some believers, in the matter of giving and receiving, in the matter of giving and receiving, remember it's more blessed to give, but the matter of giving and receiving is grace both directions. Grace given and grace received. And so uh, it's not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality by way of the body of Christ functioning uh, on its design. God didn't design for grace giving to be such that one person just gets everything and lives a life of ease and this other person is completely afflicted by working twice as hard and having to, to foot the bill for everything. It's, it is corporately inclusive. And it goes both directions depending on the circumstances. Alright, so at this present time At the opportune Kairos time of presently now, the the, the abundant shoe is on your foot and the the lack shoe is on their foot. Okay, But those shoes change feet. And when they do, the principle applies, just the other direction. So at the uh, opportune Kairos time of presently now, your abundance being a supply for their need, their lack. 
so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need. Oh, what do you know? This is why it's simultaneously true. Because it may be that you have maybe uh, a financial lack, but you've got an abundance in another realm, see? And, and so they, they work together. You've got a lot of time on your hands, so you've got an abundance in time. And you dedicate that time to the service of the flock or service to, to one another. And you say, well, I don't have a lot of money for this, but I've got tons of time and, and I've got you know, two hands and two feet and let's, let's do what needs to get done. And so they find grace giving in another uh, spectrum other than the financial spectrum, say. Because there's your time, there's your talent, there's your giftedness, there's your ministry. Other uh, realms of giving besides financial giving. And so really it's describing this in both directions here in verses 13 and 14. Your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance may become a supply for your need. That there may be equality. And God designed the body of Christ to work out like this. All right, it's a beautiful thing. And then chapter 9 and verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So does God have a lot of grace? All. All grace. (laughs) That's a lot. That's all of it. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything. I mean, how many of these absolute terms can you squeeze into one verse? I love it. This is great. All grace, always, all sufficiency, everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. Isn't that beautiful? And, and this is how he functions. This is how grace functions. Grace is a win-win. Grace just multiplies as it's given. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, don't sow sparingly. You, you're going to reap sparingly. Sow bountifully. You're going to reap bountifully. And operating in grace is, is a bountiful sowing and a bountiful reaping. That's what this is about here. So, he who supply, verse 10, he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So we have uh, sated hunger. We have abounding lack. We have these contradictory realities and they're, they're true. They're true in the body of Christ. They're corporately inclusive. These things are true as we function together. So this then explains the circumstance of doing all things doing all things. Getting along, living, or doing. However you want to render these supplied verbs. This mindset is not only a contentment, but it is also a competence. This mindset is not only a contentment, but also a competence. When it says, I can do, that's competency. I presently continuously have strength for all conditional circumstances of personal life. I can presently continuously have strength, ability, competence for all conditional circumstances of personal life. There is not a circumstance of personal life that you will ever experience or even could conceivably experience whereby the strength of God will not sustain you in the one presently continuously enduing me with power. That's the key. It's not my ability, it's not my strength. It's God's ability. And so far as He presently continuously endues it into me, I presently continuously have it. I presently continuously uh, am competent. I have strength for all conditional circumstances of personal life. And so His strength is sufficient. His grace is sufficient in every circumstance He places me in. We're talking the normal day-to-day circumstances, but even under martyrdom, even under testing of, of, of extreme proportions. You know, if, if, let's assume God puts you someday into a, a Job circumstance. You know, the, the most maximally tested human uh, in the history of the world until Jesus comes along. All right. And uh, is God's grace sufficient? Does He endue to endure? Of course He does. The enduing continues. And so you identify with that enduing and you continue. You abide. You remain. You endure. Not because you're able to, because He's able to. 
So the whole I can do is through him because he can do anything, (laughs) right? So because he can do anything, I can do through him, whatever he calls of me, whatever he expects of me, especially the things I wouldn't pick out for myself, most especially (laughs) the things I wouldn't pick out for myself, right? Because none of us would. Fallen humanity doesn't want to. Carnal humanity certainly doesn't want to. And uh, just in the relative perspective of things, as, as the, the, the human mind operates apart from divine viewpoint, you, you look at things you can do and can't do and decide uh, not to do what you can't do. Because, I mean, otherwise, how would you do it? And it's curious to me. You know, um, even, even in human terms, even in just secular temporal life, you will find that your best uh, bosses, your best teachers, your best drill sergeants, your best whoever, they're the people that get more out of you than you thought you could do. They get more out of you because that whole I can't is such a, is such a, a, a slavery mindset. And, and you know the drill sergeant says, oh yeah, you can, I'm going to make you. <laughs> okay. Or the teacher says, yeah, you can, I'm going to teach you. Or the boss says, yeah, you can. I'm going to pay you, and you're going to do it. And, and so even in human terms, it's, it's pretty clear that, that human beings have a, uh, have a complacency instead of a contentment. And we grow complacent, and then we kind of are self-limiting in what we think we can do and can't do. And God blows that all up. He says, watch what I do through you. Okay, Because, you, of course, you can't, not in yourself. But in me, you can and you will. Because I designed you to do this. This is what I designed you to do. And when the Lord was rebuking Moses, he said, who made that mouth anyway? You're telling me that your mouth can't speak to Pharaoh? I I made that mouth. You you know, he's accusing God of making a defective mouth, right? Or just, you know, blaming God. So I think these things become important. All right. Presently, continuously have strength. And did I give some, uh, yeah, we'll get some exegesis on this under subpoints A and B. But the fact is that we do have power. And this is not comic book superhero superpower, okay? This is not, um, you know, flying or teleporting or, or, you know, super strength or bullets bouncing off of you. All right. But the strength that God supplies for the circumstances of temporal life, financial, food, occupational, health, anything of personal life, and the provision is there. All right. So the one continuously enduing me with power. How does this work? Well, it's the parable of the vine that Jesus taught in John 15. John 15. Do you want access to this power? You've got to abide in Christ and bear fruit. This is how the power enters into you. This is how Christ continually strengthens you by living in the Word of God, by bearing fruit. All right. John 15. And um, of all the I am messages Jesus ever gives, I don't know if you have a favorite, I am the the bread of life, I am the the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the the light of the world, I am, I mean, think about all the I am messages. This one stands unique because this one is the I am and you are message. I am, my father is, and you are. Isn't that beautiful? So I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. I think the verb take away should be lifts up. So every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He says, abide in me and I in you. That's the imperative. This is the imperative for a believer. This is not about getting saved. But this is for a saved person now to abide in Christ, to be living in the Word of God. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I mean, it's clear. And I'm not even a farmer or a gardener or anything agricultural, but I get the concept. I chop that branch off of the tree, it's not getting nourishment anymore from the roots to the trunk to the branch. It's because it's severed. It's chopped off. I get that. 
So if you want the nourishment from the roots to the trunk to the branch, you've got to keep connected to Christ. That's abiding in Christ. That's living in the Word of God. I in you and you in me. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we're talking about capacity, competence, we're talking about ability. You can't do anything in yourself. If you try, it's just going to end up wood, hand, stubble, and you'll watch it go up in flames at the judgment seat of Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no empowerment, there's no strength, there's no ability, there's no can do apart from Jesus Christ. We've got to be abiding in Him, living in the Word of God, in uh, abiding in Him and He in us. This is how it works. And that's why I think, I mean, it's just a beautiful parable and it's so unique because it's the I am and you are tandem. There's, it, it, there's nothing else like it. He doesn't say, you know, I am the door and you are the hinges or I am the I am the you know the light and you are the switch okay there's none of that but I am the vine you are the branches and this I am message this great ego amy I am message that connects the I am from the old testament the I am the creator god of the universe I am now has a you are that goes right with it in a beautiful operation of, of mutual uh, reciprocal fellowship of uh, abide in me and I in you. And uh, the, the can-do that comes because of that connection. The can-do. The strength. The competency. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do Nothing. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The prayer access that we have, the privilege we have, again, in uh, every facet of, of personal life, of daily life, whatever provision we need, whatever guidance we need, whatever wisdom we need, there it is. It's there for the asking. And my Father is glorified by this. Remember, all things belong to you, you belong to Christ, but who does Christ belong to? belongs to God. The reason why we're bearing fruit, the reason why Christ the head and church the body, the reason why we're doing all these things is for the glory of God the Father. comes right down to it. It's paterological at the end of the day. All right. So we have uh, the description here. Abiding in Christ, what can you do? Everything. I can do all things through Him who continually endues His power into me. Uh, Separated from Christ, what can you do? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing of any divine ramification. Nothing that's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones at the judgment seat of Christ. Anything you try to do in the flesh is just wood, hand, stubble. It is lost production. Waste of time. 2 Corinthians 3.5 Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. All right, what a great context. Um, Our adequacy. So uh, none of us should be suffering from delusions of grandeur or any kind of uh, pride as being uh, awesome in and of ourselves. You know, to Bob be the glory, great things he has done. No. It's to God be the glory, great things He has done. And the fact that He's done great things through such ridiculous tools is even more to His glory and even more to His greatness and His power. And uh, all you need to, to recognize is that as we serve one another and minister to one another, we become the testimony of God's grace. As the chapter begins, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You know, do you hire a guy if he has no references? You know, would you trust somebody if, if there's no resume, if there's no credentials, if there's no, you know, um, I mean, it seems friendly and whatever, but 
if he's going to be my brain surgeon, I kind of want to know what medical school he went to and if he's done this before. Uh, you know, what, what are your credentials? And the fact is, in the body of Christ, all of us are credentials for all of us as we minister, as we serve, as we love, as we bear this fruit. Because he says, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. And so, because Paul had poured out his, his soul to, the, to found this church and to, to teach these guys and to and put up with these guys and all the other stuff, uh, the, the, the believers at, at, in Corinth are, is all the, the resume Paul needs. That's the, the, that's the, uh, the uh, certificate of, of uh, recommendation right there. Known and read by all men. And so, you know, any believer can look at that and go, wow. That's an apostle and that's his fruit, that's his flock and that's how it works. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God and not on tablets of stone but tablets of human hearts. And so we have this spiritual dynamic as we minister one to another and it's a beautiful thing. So such confidence we have not in ourselves but through Christ toward God. And all of this is present tense. All of this is in the here and now, in the church age. It was a first century reality for Paul and Corinth. It's a 21st century uh, reality for, uh, for, for me, for Pastor Bob and Austin Bible Church. It's a, it's a 21st century reality for the body of Christ everywhere as local churches function on this, on this basis. Present confidence. Such confidence we presently have, right here, right now, through Christ towards God. Not that we are presently now adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our present adequacy is from God. Then when you get to verse 6, here's some extra credit for you by the way. This will connect well with Hebrews next hour. Who also made us adequate. Wow. Okay. Because we could have ended the chapter in verse 5 and that's already powerful. That's amazing competency, adequacy, strength, power. That's amazing present reality for the church from verse 1 to verse 5. And that right there is just, I mean, who deserves any of that? that's, That's just grace upon grace. We have all this present adequacy. And then, but wait, there's more. Okay? Look what's coming up who also made us adequate or makes us adequate as deacons, as servants of a new covenant. And so there is something coming up. Now the new covenant is not ratified yet. The new covenant is going to be made between God and Israel. It's going to be made after the second advent. It's going to be made when he conquers Antichrist and, and, and establishes the millennial kingdom. It'll come about after this that I will make my covenant with the house of Israel with the house of Judah. So the new covenant is not here yet. But when it gets here, we are adequate and we will be adequate um, to be the deacons as Christ is the, is the mediator. And so we have a mediator and we have ministers. And uh, this is what we're going to be looking at next hour, by the way. So, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the neat thing we have as the body of Christ is that we are already accustomed to doing this heart writing. We're already accustomed to serving one another in the spiritual realm, writing out these these resumes uh, one to another. And uh, what a perfect body that's suited to work with Christ when he writes his law upon Israel's heart. Okay, Because the Jewish people are going to be the recipients of that new covenant. They're going to have the law of God written upon their hearts. Again, Christ is the mediator and we're the ministers the deacon servants. And so where does our adequacy come from? Not ourselves. Not how smart we are, how much we know. It's the secret. It's being initiated into the mystery of doing all things through him who continuously endues you with his strength. It's his strength, not ours. 2 Corinthians 12. I implore the Lord three times that this thorn in the flesh might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. It's about sufficiency, remember? This is the issue with, with respect to contentment. Contentment is identifying God's sufficiency. 
My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. If you don't embrace this, if you don't get initiated into this mystery, you will never know perfected power. You'll just know imperfect power by trying to do it yourself. You'll never know perfected power until you get initiated into this mystery, until you learn, until you know, and until you embrace the reality of where we are in the body of Christ. So most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is how we recognize we can be full and hungry at the same time. We can be weak and powerful at the same time. We can be weaker than we've ever been in our Christian walk, and we have more power than we've ever seen before. And we actually stop and we look around and we say, I can't, I, I just can't fathom why I'm enduring all this. I can't, I can't fathom why I'm not a basket case running for the hills. I just, it boggles the mind. It's the peace that surpasseth all understanding. It's a glorious thing. All right, um, Ephesians. You want more power? Ephesians 3.16. Here's some more power for you. And in fact, uh, as if, so you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, there's an empowerment that comes there, and then there's even more power that's there for the asking. It's a prayer context. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. So go to the Father and ask. I need this ramped up. And he will. He'll ramp it up. Even, even when he ramps up your weakness. <laughs> right? Understand, when you're asking him for his power, what are you going to see? Your weakness. So he magnifies his power. It's like when you ask the Lord for patience and then you realize too late that was a dangerous thing to ask for. Because he gives you patience in the most glorious of ways to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember being abiding in Him and He in you. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Every dimension of truth, every dimension of power. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Well, if it surpasses knowledge, how do I know it? Isn't it beautiful? Because it's corporately inclusive. It's powerfully true. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. You want His power to be at work in you? All right, this is how it's going to happen. We're going to have this mindset we're going to learn, we're going to know, and we're going to be initiated into the mystery of, uh, of, this, of this power so that you can do all things through the one continuously presently in doing you with the power that he has. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, some people throw away the benedictions. They just dismiss it like it's flower language. I think there's tremendous doctrine in that verse. I mean, I get to Him be the glory in, in Christ Jesus. Yes, I get that. But in the church? To Him be the glory in the church? And in Christ Jesus? To all generations forever and ever? There's a function that we have. We have an adequacy presently. We have a future adequacy on the way. And then there's a thousand generations of the new earth that are going to be blessed by the, uh, the adequate empowered ministry of the church and Christ thousand generations of those who love Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.10. I'm going to run out of time. I always do. Finally, be as strong as you can possibly be. Be as strong as you can make yourself. Be strong in your own strength. The imperative is a passive imperative. It should be rendered be strengthened be 
presently continuously strengthened by the Lord in the strength of His might. So strong strength might. We've got three different power words right there. And we'll pick up on this Wednesday night. Thank you, Father, for truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for opening our eyes to these realities. We want to learn. We want to know. We want to know how to live, how to get along. And more than just living and getting along, we want to abound in Christ, Father. We want to be initiated into the mystery of this uh, simultaneous, glorious existence that is the, the, the corporate inclusivity of the body of Christ. All things belong to us. We can do all things. Show us what this is about, Father. So it's not just an academic study on paper, but a reality in how we think, what we say, what we do. Shape us to that image of Christ, Father. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.